Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast, where each week we talk about all things related to the world of learning and development, including facilitation, instructional design, sales enablement, and so much more. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, and I'm an L&D strategist and career coach, and I'm here to take the guesswork out of becoming an L&D professional and show you how to unlock continued success in your learning and development career. I'm on a mission to quickly develop the next generation of L&D leaders who are looking to create meaningful and engaging learning experiences. So if you're looking to transition into L&D for the first time, have found yourself accidentally in a training position, or are working up the ranks as an L&D professional already, you've come to the right place. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the second episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I'm so excited you're here and I cannot wait for you all to hear the interview we have today with instructional design guru, Emily Griffin. Before we get started, I do want to talk about an amazing win that one of my coaching clients had last week. I have to share this with everyone. Uh, In just one coaching session, uh, my client, we were able to push back on her self-limiting beliefs. So she was struggling with how did my skills transfer? You know, how do I present myself in a certain way to land a certain job, a higher level job? And we were able to hone in on her transferable skills and rebrand her from just a subject matter expert to a learning strategist, developer, and organizational change expert. This is in one coaching session. It actually took us less than 10 minutes to to get into that. And again, I talked about in the first episode, so many of my clients have these self-limiting beliefs of, I haven't been in training before. What skills of mine are transferable? That is what we work through, Uh, especially in our beginning sessions. We really look at what is your niche and how do we take everything that you've learned and everything that you've done in whatever job you've been in and how do we transfer that into learning and development. So heading into the holidays, I only have five coaching spots open. Uh, So if you're looking for a new L&D job in the new year, I am here to guide you. So from defining your niche in the training world to creating and upskilling yourself, working on a development plan, building a portfolio, updating your resume and networking, in 90 days of one-on-one coaching, I will give you all the tools it took me over 10 years to learn. Uh, So to schedule a consultation with me, email me hello at theovernighttrainer.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Sarah Canistra. Send me a DM there. We will schedule a consultation call, a free consultation call. Uh, Take a look and see if one-on-one coaching is right for you. But if you are looking for that new L&D job in the new year, I am your person and I want to coach and get you there. So without further ado, let's learn all about instructional design and going from being a teacher to an instructional designer with Emily Griffin. Welcome to the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I am so pumped to welcome my first ever guest, Emily Griffin. Uh, Emily is not only one of my closest friends, one of my best, best, best friends. Uh, She's also been my partner in crime in the learning and development world. She is an absolute guru when it comes to instructional design and specializes in creating learning strategies and experiences centered around learning design and technology. 
After graduating from college with a degree in English, Emily started out as a middle school teacher and eventually transitioned into the world of L&D. So welcome, Emily. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're here, obviously, as you can tell. Um, so to um, start us off, guest. I know, right? I can't, I, I couldn't think of anyone better, especially right now, you know, so many people are transitioning you know, into the career of instructional design and learning and development and kind of getting out of their monotonous day jobs or teaching jobs. And so I want you to start us off, start us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and especially your transition from teaching to training. Well, teaching is sort of a familial thing. I come from a long uh, line of teachers. Everyone else in my family is actually in education. So it was sort of a de facto concept for me, honestly, to begin with. Um, I got, you know, the degree in English, which doesn't really give you <laughs> a career path per se, and uh, ended up sort of just following the path that my family had followed and doing education. Um, <clears throat> but I made it about three years into, not about, actually three years into my role as a teacher, I taught something eighth grade English and loved the kids, loved um, sort of working with them in that like really crucial development time for them. But I did not love teaching the kids grammar <laughs> and, uh, you know, mainly grammar was the worst part. Reading comprehension was really great because you got to introduce some stuff that got them excited and that was the, the moments where I saw them getting jazzed. But I just realized that those two things didn't mix for me and that the public education system leaves a lot of things to be wanted. So right. it got really hard for me to see kids not be served well or be under our programs be underfunded, those kind of things. And I had to separate myself from it. Um, <clears throat> and I didn't go straight into learning and development from there. I actually went into sales. Um, in uh, multifamily. So I was doing leasing for a property management company and sort of was plucked out of that position to do training within the organization. So my- So you became an overnight trainer. Correct. Correct. My propensity for teaching just shows up all the time. Um, I think that happens to most people who end up in, in learning and development, uh, you have a natural ability and you end up teaching people, even though it's not formally your job to do so. And um, I traveled for a while doing training. Um, so I did a lot of in-person training, sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, sometimes with a larger group, um, and mainly was focused on facilitation or you know in-person training with people for quite some time in my career and started doing that more formally. Um, in my next few roles, and then really got burned out on facilitating. Um, so I was doing both facilitation and development of my own content, and I really love the development of my content portion. And didn't even know instructional design was a thing. You know, I didn't I didn't know this career was even a possibility. And as I got further into to more formal learning and development departments and more formal learning and development roles. I saw that path and was recognized for, for my ability by my peers too, and uh, knew that I wanted to kind of step out of the day-to-day -day facilitation aspect and do more of the behind the scenes uh, development and design and strategy 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so interesting, like that transition, I think so many people, it's overnight for so many, but to actually get to that end game, there's so many of those different little steps and the one door opens, another door, and one door closes, another door opens right. and leads you into, into that path. And you, know, you kind of touched on it a little bit too, about really that difference between facilitation and instructional design. What for you was like that key thing that stood out that you're like, you know what, instructional design is really the direction I want to go in. Um, I think, so facilitation is a lot of being on, and while I love to teach and, and I like to see that, you know, those light bulb moments and coach people to things, um, I, I was depleted by being on all the time, and what the instructional design side of things allowed me to do is be really strategic with helping people have light bulb moments and giving facilitators the... Um, the materials and the coaching they needed. So it's, I, I could almost have that same impact, but I could have it in, I could coach other people to be the facilitator and I could not to sound um, negative about, but there was also very big differences on the type of quality of content that was being required of me to facilitate, depending on whether it had been designed in a really strategic and formal manner or whether it had been thrown together by a subject matter expert. And it was beginning to understand that tr transition from subject matter expert overnight trainer to really being a subject matter expert in learning and development as a science and uh, discipline in and of itself. Yeah, that's something you and I talk a lot about too is, mm -hmm. you know, and something I focus on with, with my clients and my community of, you know, seeing subject matter experts doesn't necessarily make you a great trainer in it and that there's the subject matter expertise in the subject matter but then the bigger picture that we come in and focus on is that subject matter expertise in learning and development right. so I think that's a that's such an interesting concept that thinks people have a hard time wrapping their heads around that those are two different things that fit within a lot of people try to make one person you know, right own own just a subject matter expertise and just assume they can train it right and when you're accidentally in those roles um because you have a, a gift for helping people. Um, you don't, like I said, I didn't even know that this was a, a thing. Like I just knew I had taught and teaching in instructional design, there's a lot of overlap, but coming from a, a, an education standpoint and then moving to more like learning and development corporate side of things, I did not know how deep the discipline was. So it's also, as I learned more, I wanted to do more too. And I, depending on the roles I was in, I was limited in what I was able to do. So moving more formally into instructional design role allowed me to continue to develop myself too, where being stuck in facilitation, I kind of hit the ceiling of what I could do. I love that you mentioned the overlap, because I think that's a huge thing. There's such a, even though there are two different disciplines, teaching and training or teaching and instructional design, but there actually is a lot of overlap. And a question that a lot of my clients ask me or come to me for is that those transferable skills and more specifically, like what to put on their resume. Maybe they're teachers right now. They're starting to learn about instructional design. They've made the choice they want to be in ID or training, uh, but they're not really quite sure how to show that on their resume. So mm -hmm. what my question to you really is what have you noticed have been the biggest transferable skills when going from teaching to instructional design? Yeah. Um, I think it is sort of focusing on the structure. So it's focus, focusing on the thought process, depending on the kind of um, 
school system you work in, sometimes your, your curriculum is dictated to you, honestly. Um, other times you have more freedom. It depends on how structured it is. Um, so it's focusing on that, that actual strategy and curriculum development side and how you are parsing information, how you are delivering information, particularly in an, an education standpoint, how you are curating the information to different people, you know, learning styles to, I mean, we, learning styles in you know very broad sense, we know that we can dive into that concept really, really um, deeply if we wanted to, but it, it's more of that, instructional design is more of the, the, it's the plan than it is the execution. So it's focusing on the plan and the structure and the science of how people learn and putting all of those puzzle pieces together. And so the transferable skills are how you broke things down. What was the structure of your classroom like? Um, what was, why did you make decisions about the structure of your classroom too? It's, so it's not just behavior management, but like you made decisions, you may not realize you're making an instructional design decision. You're just doing it on instinct of, well, these students have trouble sitting still or this kid learns really well reading on their own and I can just let them take the test. I don't, they don't have to go through all these activities. So I, I handled students differently depending on what they brought to the table. Um, that thought process, those thought processes and ability to break information down and then rebuild it in ways that your audience can engage with it and um, then really make it their own and implement it. Those are the skills, not necessarily the facilitation aspects like of or the classroom management aspects it is the the breaking down and the building back up is essentially what instructional design is synthesizing the information and then figuring out the best way to relay it to other people and then the parts that i had to build on top of that and i think i'm probably jumping to a new question that you might have <laughs> skills, the skills that i had to add to that were the what systems do i use to do that so i'm not just in front of a classroom with a textbook now I am doing a ton of digital learning. I'm talking to people all across the country. The, the um, deliverables are different and the, the systems that I deliver through are different. So I had to learn the software programs. I had to learn about uh, what LMSs look like. I had to learn uh, about video recording and editing. I had to learn about graphics, motion graphics. I had to learn about InDesign, you know, just regular old, print-based or, you know, web-based graphic design. So it's the tools that then you use to interpret that knowledge you have that I had right. to add to my resume to transition. Yeah, and that, I mean, that does actually transition to a, a, a deeper question that a lot of people who I see, especially who are teachers who are looking to become instructional designers is kind of that big question mark over what do I learn first? Or are there any courses or certifications I could take? Is it trial and error? Is it a mix of both? So in your experience, in your personal experience, but also now experience having worked with other instructional designers, where, what do you see as the best way to prepare for that path to be an ID? I, what has made the biggest difference for me is adding those system, those programs, like a knowledge of the, the tools that I would use to my resume. So the first thing that there's two things actually. I think from an understanding the things you've been doing naturally and being able to put the right discipline-based language to them to speak the language of instructional design, I do think it's a very important to take 
a class of some sort, but there's a lot of it, it, that could live in a lot of different ways. It could be a formal certification through ATD, or it could be something that you're, you're doing online through your own sort of self-propelled Googling and researching of things totally. too. There's so much information at your fingertips. A lot of what I've learned is actually based on self-study and I've done a, quite a few certification programs as well. Um, but learning the language so that you are speaking the formal language and it's not just the instinctual things you didn't know the terms for is important to transition. And then the tools, what are the tools of the trade? What are you gonna be developing your content in? And learning some basics for those. So learning about Camtasia, learning about um, basic editing, and you don't have to do really exciting, uh, you know, high-tech editing to start with. You need to be able to just edit your audio, clean up your video, put some basic intro, outro graphics on there, and that can be a PowerPoint slide. It doesn't have to be something you built in um, After Effects. Adobe After Effects. Um, I think those are most important. And then the bread and butter kind of uh, what maybe are considered more old school at this point, but bread and butter um, e-learning programs like a Captivate or an Articulate. I think we're moving into less of a Captivate and Articulate world and we're in more podcasts. It's more videos. It's more um, modern learning uh, deliverables. But those the tools of the trade you need to know and that's what's going to capture uh, a recruiter on your resume if you can say i know camtasia and i know articulate and i know the adobe creative suite which you know pick your poison on that one they're not necessarily all applicable it depends on what you're doing so go with the one that interests you the most and start there have some basic skills for editing things um those are what open the doors it's actually like very trade oriented, so to speak, of like, these are trade skills. Like, if I was an electrician, I would have to know how to use the tools of being an electrician. And there's a lot of overlap in that thought when it comes to being an instructional designer, you have to know the tools of the trade. It seems this is a, this just kind of popped into my head, but it seems that with those type of like traditional e-learnings, I don't want to say going away, but being replaced or sur surrounded with more options like podcasts, like videos, um, you know, like you know, virtual sessions that you can hop, hop on, mm -hmm. um, that it seems that the barrier to entry to becoming an ID has lessened. So if, if now, if what we're saying is that, you know, to be an instructional designer, you don't have to be certified. You don't have to, like you said, you don't have to be in after effects and creating, you know, all these different things that it's as simple as just really, truly, uh, I talk about this in my course too. I have a whole section on Camtasia and we just go through basic things, how to edit, how to cut content, how to parse it out, you know, how to remove, you know, ums or <laughs> mess up those type of things. Uh, but nothing nothing crazy. I, I'm no Camtasia expert, but I've created millions of Camtasia trainings of what it feels like. But it sounds like the barrier to entry becoming to an ID, it's becoming easier to do that, which I think is, is great. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I do think it's gotten more universally accessible. It's not this um, club that people are in who know how to use Captivate, which, I, you know, is useful in its own way, but is, you know, the, the PowerPoint of e-learning 
programs and I've certainly used it and it can be manipulated to do really great things and it's crazy programmable on the back end, but it's not how a modern learner learns. I mean, we go to Google and we look up a video. I want to know how to add an event to my Outlook calendar. I don't know how to do it. Google, how do I add an event to my Outlook calendar? So like you have to think that you're, yes, you have generational divides, but the majority of workers these days are native digital learners. They, they've grown up with technology. So they're used to thinking in the terms of, oh, let me Google that. They've had a computer in their pocket since they were 10. We all have phones. And so that's our mode of problem solving. And you don't need a intricate e-learning uh, course to solve basic problems. Um, and also that requires a lot of very dedicated attention. We also live in a world where we're used to multitasking. So I listen to podcasts while I get ready in the morning, for example. So, so why limit ourselves to these more formal learning structures when we can be learning in so many ways? We can do social learning. We can, we can fit things in in places where we used to not be able to. Um, the one caveat I would have to the, the barrier for injury with the tools being lessened is that sound instructional design still has to live inside of those tools. <laughs> I'm throwing my hands up. I know y'all can't exactly. see me, but I'm, I'm giving Emily an amen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that. So if anyone can, can you learn to use those technologies, but if you're not going through the process of really analyzing, you know, a, a problem that's, has brought to you that they think the solution is training and asking the right questions, discovering whether you know pain points can be solved by training or they're not communication or some other sort of intervention. Um, it, it doesn't matter how good you are at motion graphics, After Effects, which we've mentioned a couple of times, if you don't know how to structure the video, that you, the instructional video that you were creating for it. So all of those things always have to build, be built on sound instructional design, which is why I say it is it is important to learn the language of instructional design and then dive deep into what makes your deliverables solid. What, how do you know that what you're creating is actually uh, solving a problem or you know, solving a problem, air quotes, because there's a lot of things beyond just training. Training itself is not a solution. It's part of a package of solutions. Um, so. Uh, you will always have to have the very, very sound instructional design for the deliverable to be great, but the entry for the deliverables is so easy. I have learned to use pretty much every tool that I use in my job now via YouTube or things along those lines to, to upskill, you know, what I'm doing in Camtasia or what I'm doing in InDesign or Photoshop, you know, and to your point, not knowing everything shouldn't stop you because there is so much opportunity to take the next best step when it comes to learning and development. And, and just a basic Camtasia video lots of times is a step forward depending on the organization that you're in or the solution to the problem. So it doesn't have to be jazzy and exciting, even though those things are great and I love them and I would love to have a team of motion graphic designers, but they're specialized in motion graphic design and I am specializing in instructional design and those things are often conflated as well. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like what's interesting in hearing this and it's so funny because we've known each other for so long and I'm learning so much from, from our conversation, which is so great, but 
that teachers actually really do have an upper hand because they have that foundation. What they need to do is learn, they, they have that, they already know for the most part what is instructionally sound. Yes. But what they need to do is just learn the language to be able to to match what they already know with what the term is in instructional design and really what what that equates to. So they're speaking speaking that mm -hmm. same language, and then from there, it's that lower barrier to entry of how do I self study, self learn, YouTube, Google, whatever it may be, yes. to learn these. Low, it's low hanging fruit of instructional design, but this low hanging fruit is actually what is the most impactful. And I think it. In my experience, I know yours too, people obsess over, I have to get a certification in Storyline. I have to be certified in Adobe Creative Suite. I have to spend $10,000 going back to school to get a master's certificate in instructional design. But at the end of the day, especially being a teacher, you already have a lot of those tools. There's a lot of free or very low cost mm -hmm. things out there, trainings out there for, for you to be able to learn just the, the basic of the low hanging fruit of how to create a great video and how to edit it pretty simply. So absolutely, sounds like teachers really have the upper hand because it's, there's not a lot to, it's just learning a new, a new vocabulary essentially for something that they're already doing. Right. And learn some new tools. Like, so right now we're in the middle of a pandemic and so many teachers are being forced into a virtual environment. Like I said, my family are teachers. So my sister has, from the time that it's been obvious that school was going to be virtual has been coming to me to ask what tool can I use for this? How do I, how do I get on a video and record this? So it, 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 you already do have so much foundation of understanding how people learn, understanding how to chunk content for, um, for the learner. It is, it is just about the reimagining how you deliver it from maximum impact and learning the tools of the trade. I will say it also depends on the, the, organization you're going to, you know, you can have teams like teams you and I have been on that are small and, and the umbrella of instructional designer is actually really like wide. And a lot of things fall under it from the design side, which is more the like, here's the problem. Here's the information people need to know to solve the problem, or here's the skill they need to work on behavior, behavior change they need to work on. And here's my plan for how to do that. And then also the more development side of things, which is the using the tools to then develop that solution. And, and that's a deep dive on an item like, uh, or on a system like Captivate, where you can really be, I've worked with um, other instructional designers who were deep, deep, deep in the intricacies of Captivate and the stuff that they could do with Captivate was incredible, but that's really like almost like a web developer um, role. And if you go to bigger organizations, you actually see under the the learning and development department that you have specialization you can have people who are developers specifically instructional developers whose main skill set is the tool itself and manipulating that tool uh you know something like captivate to do all the things you want but they're not actually the putting together the learning solution or the the bigger picture design of that learning solution they're they're doing the work associated to making it come to life so that there's so many areas where you can also, once you, you do the low hanging fruit, there's so much opportunity to then specialize and dive really deep in one or the other. So either the learning strategy and design side or that more developer side of learning solutions. 
Yeah, that's so great. And it kind of brings me to kind of another question and thought I have. And we talked a little bit earlier about your civic path, which was, you know, from teacher to sales to facilitation to ID. But there's so many, I was talking to someone about this this morning too, about how that's the beauty of learning and development as an industry is that you, there's so many places you can go. And I think people just getting into the industry are like, oh, I could be a trainer or I could be an instructional designer. And it's like, they're, Yes, to start off, right? I always say, like, let's let's kind of pick pick one and roll with it. Yeah, um, the from, yeah sure. from there. But then it's and and to your point too of, I would say at least eight times out of ten, a lot of people that we have worked with ourselves included in being in different organizations, you know, that doesn't really trickle down to being able to have all those intricacies, right? But yeah. and so you have to be of a jack of all trades and kind of a master of some, but that's where that low hanging fruit comes in where it's like, you don't have to be a, you know, a motion graphic designer or a graphic designer or a web developer, which is what you could potentially find in those big, large organizations, but that you, know, you can get that low hanging fruit. But I think it's so interesting that you talk about, you know, get the low hanging fruit, become an expert at that, become an expert to, to your point earlier too, of being a subject matter expert of instructional design, speaking the language, looking at the strategy, how do we impact performance based on what we're developing? What are the tools that I need to not get me by, but you know, get me, get me by plus one. <laughs> and then from there, as you're starting to realize you're making more and more of an impact, then you can start to continue to self-study, dive deeper, you know, specialize yourself. And then looking at, you know, from a career development standpoint, if you, there's something you're really super into as you learn more and more, being able to, to, to jump and leap to a more specialized field within instructional design. So it's not yeah. only within learning and development, but within instructional design, there's all these exactly. different things you can do too. I mean, there's so many interesting things. Um, you know, VR is huge. Virtual reality yep. is such a big topic of discussion right now in the instructional design world. Um, I, there's going to be so many areas of specialization. There's so much opportunity. There's so much that hasn't even been discovered yet. I think as we, um, we're sort of forced into a new world, uh, there's, there's solutions we don't know about yet. Uh, what I was thinking a minute ago, then we, when you were talking about what the path is like, we have to remember that our path of development is similar to the people we're teaching. So getting into instructional design, you're, you're going to start out with knowledge transfer. I mean, it, you're going to follow that same path and you can always scaffold and build on the last thing that you learn. And we have a tendency to get very ahead of ourselves of being excited about something like VR, but forgetting that you have to build a foundation first and that you, you got to get good at the basic stuff first, and then you can specialize and add on it and grow your upskill within that. Um, you know, it's the, the pyramid of it all. We, we know to think that way about other people, but we don't necessarily give ourselves the forgiveness or understanding that it, we need that to grow and learn new things also. So it, it does take time. You do stack skill, unskill, unskill, and then find an area that you might be most interested in. And, and truthfully, when you go to those more specialized organizations, you're going to find people who love them or hate them too. I mean, I've had bosses in the past who despise that idea of being what they consider to be very siloed of specializing in a particular field. Right. They love the idea of being, you know, a jack of all trades or a master of some and, and other people who are happy to stay in their lane and really want to deep dive into the intric intricacies of programming or of uh, learning science. And 
you know, it's really more of a personal preference in that case. And there are going to be pros and cons to any, any structure, whether it's super segregated like that and siloed, or whether you're needing more broad strokes uh, knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people listening, especially to this episode, uh, are teachers looking to get into L&D. And I've noticed a lot of teachers are looking to get an instructional design. Um, I've noticed some out there who are you know, wanting to be into facilitation or possibly in sales enablement. What would you say is your biggest piece of advice or maybe two pieces of advice that you have for teachers out there that want to make the transition into learning and development? I think the number one thing anyone can do who's looking to career change is to go look at job uh, listings and see what skills they're looking for and work backwards from there. So if you are interested in instructional design, go look at what instructional design jobs, listings for instructional design jobs that sound great to you and see what their requirements are. So they're gonna list off technologies, they're gonna list off um, more critical thinking type skills, they're gonna list, list off, take those and make that your personal syllabus for a lack of a better phrase. Um, there are so many opportunities for free trials. So if you need to learn how to use Camtasia, you can get a free trial. If you need to know how to use Articulate, which I super love Articulate Rise right now. Um, I think that is that is the number one Camtasia or uh, Snagit, which has an equivalent screen recording option and Articulate Rise, which is part of the 360 package. Those are the two things I would recommend to anyone trying to move. That's the low hanging fruit. They're really great, easy, fast development programs. And you can get so much done with just those two sets of skills and really improve a company's learning and development um, efforts with just those two programs. And then that same logic um, moves on from there where you can, you can upskill and add a new program or a new idea. And then I would say you also need to really study the instructional design side of things. And there's so much uh, free information out there for you. And then I think a certification opens doors. Um, after you are getting that information, you should be building a portfolio and that portfolio, portfolio can open doors for you, but a certification can open doors. I have gotten jobs over other people because I have had uh, certifications, AT, formal ATD certifications, and, and that's what edged me out in comparison to other people. So I, I don't want to knock those, but they're not your first step. They're what you do after you take advantage of, of the free materials that are available to you. You get a better idea of how you want to focus, and then you get a equivalent certification from an association like ATD that is, you know, kind of the gold standard in this field. I think also on that note, you can stalk people on LinkedIn and see what they've done. Does someone have the kind of job you want? Look at the kind of programming they've been through. Do they have certifications? What's their portfolio site look like? All those kind of things. So it's, it's finding people you admire, finding jobs that you are your goal jobs and backwards engineering a path for yourself from there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was incredible advice. Uh, and it, doesn't sound too difficult, right? I think when you're switching careers, it, it's so overwhelming to think about, you wanna focus so much on like doing the right thing um, to be above the competition or above people who are already doing it. But I think especially for teachers looking to get into learning and development and specifically instructional design, like to lay it out like that of just 
speak the language, understand how it maps to what you're currently doing. You know, so you have that vernacular and at the same time, you know, learn Rise, learn Camtasia, and that will get you, you know, that, that kind of gives you a, a, a small but yet robust yeah. version of what instructional design would look like within an organization. And then from there, being able to upskill certifications. You know, I, I recommend to my clients a lot too. Coursera has some really great ones. Yeah, uh, you know, Skillshare. Skillshare yep, is also Skillshare. really great for task skill specific, like tool oriented, but that's a great place to go for an After Effects training, for example. Yeah, because I think, you know, I think people get intimidated too by, because I think that certifications are super important and I think people get intimidated by the cost of them and okay, if I need a certification in this and in that and it starts to add up and I think there's so many to your point earlier, of, you know, do a quick Google search and there's so many and of course the beauty of the internet is there's reviews for everything so you can read what other people have done right. before. Uh, but yeah, Skillshare, Coursera, I know Coursera, they have um, you know, options where you can take it for free or you can get a certificate for $79 or $49 and stuff. Right. So, and those certificates come from accredited universities too. Mm -hmm. So what's so great about Coursera is that it's not just a subject matter expert teaching you something, which is more what Skillshare is. And there's definitely a place for that. But Coursera is, you know, University of XYZ state that is really accredited and, 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 you know, so I would do some research into what those, which universities hold the most clout in this field as well. You know, there are definitely some that rise above the others, but the knowledge is the knowledge. The beauty of anything that is, is very skills oriented of a career. And this is very a transactional skill oriented career versus my, you know, degree in English, which was wonderful for my ability to critical think and synthesize information and, and great, but it, I didn't walk away with anything actionable from that. And the beauty of these kind of places is it doesn't actually matter where you get your knowledge. If you can demonstrate that you're capable of doing the thing and build a portfolio, that is what matters. So you don't need a Harvard degree for this. You just need to show you know how to do it, prove your, your skill set. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Emily, amazing advice. Where can people connect with you? You can find me on LinkedIn at Emily Griffin, you know, LinkedIn domain and slash Emily Griffin one is my LinkedIn profile. I'd love to connect with people and am happy to help or answer questions. So shoot me a message there. That would be great. So LinkedIn stalk her. I know she gave you that advice earlier to LinkedIn stalk people. She's giving you advice to yeah. LinkedIn stalk her. And Emily, you're such a rock star. You know how much I love you. I value you, uh, your friendship, and of course, our working relationship that we've had over the years. And I know that so many people listening to this today gained a new perspective from you. And I hope that they're breathing a little bit easier and thinking, okay, wow, I can actually do this and it sounds tangible and I can make this happen fast. So I really could not think of anyone better to be the overnight trainer, podcast inaugural guest. And I appreciate all that you do and all that you bring to L&D and our relationship and to everyone listening today. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. And you are also a rock star. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Emily Griffin for hopping on today's episode of the Overnight Trainer Podcast. I hope you all took away some great tidbits. I know I've worked with Emily for years and I learned so much today. You know, to me, my biggest takeaway, and I hope yours is too, is that this doesn't have to be hard. You already have the skills to be successful in the instructional design and learning and development world. You just need to learn the verbiage and pick up one or two tools. 
I loved the analogy she gave about electrician, right? You just have to learn the tools. And picking one to two low-hanging fruit tools like Camtasia and Articulate Rise will set you up for success. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope Emily is a beacon of hope uh, for all of you transitioning into instructional design and learning and development. Again, you can connect with Emily on LinkedIn at Emily Griffin and stay tuned for the next few episodes of The Overnight Trainer. We have some really, really great guests coming your way. Have a wonderful, wonderful day and happy learning.